Welcome to the Athletic MBA Show, Monday through Friday, on the Athletic Podcast Network. And welcome to another edition of the Hoops Adjacent episode of the Athletic NBA Show. That is a lot to get out. David Aldrich here in D.C. Waz Lambray in L.A. What is up, sir? Nothing much, David. I'm good. I'm cooling, man. Um, can finally breathe the air without smoking it. And so <laughs> I'm thankful for that, for sure. That's fantastic. That's fantastic. So so we're taping this on Tuesday. We'll have Nate Silver on in a few minutes from 538.com, the man, the myth, the advanced numbers legend. Um, but let's talk for a few minutes before Nate joins us on the Lakers Nuggets uh, series in particular and how Anthony Davis just kind of has shifted the paradigm with one shot. Um, yeah. it's, for, it's been very funny to me was to watch all the reaction, people killing Plumley for not switching out on him. And then you see the, you see the, um, the other angle where Jeremy Grant is basically saying, hey, yo, don't leave LeBron, you know? <laughs> right. <laughs> you know, so that's been funny. But watching AD, I mean, hit that shot and just kind of really reminding people, he just, he's just, he's like Tim Duncan in this regard. I think he scores the quietest 30 points ever, right? Yep. Like there's very few demonstrative dunks or big plays. There's just 11 or 15 every night. You know what I mean? So um, his... um emergence in these playoffs going back to the Houston series where he wore them out when they played small ball. And now the first couple of games against the nuggets, it's been a reminder that, yeah, this guy is this good. And you know, this is why, this is why LeBron basically walked to LA. So did he get this guy to go out there to play with him? Yeah. You know, and people are going to get tired of hearing me saying this, but you know, when they traded for him last summer, there was a general like, oh, they might have given up too much, too many pick swaps, no, too many crazy. late first rounders, too many this, too many that. The Lakers gave up a lot for him. And then, of course, there was the sort of protracted and how do you say this sloppy way the the trade deadline went down before the summer in the winter where, you know, people are complaining about collusion and this and this and that from the new Orleans side. And of course the way that season ended where they were playing him 20 minutes a night, then they finally sat him. And so that was definitely obviously a mess, but we knew once the summer came and there was only one year left on AD's deal that David Griffin, you know, was not going to do this whole power trip, blah, blah, blah. He was going to try to get the best deal possible for the inevitable. And they finally did it. And again, David, like there was this sense that like, oh, they got Anthony Davis. Big whoop. They should have got him in February. They might have given yeah. up too much, blah, 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 blah. And, then they, you know, I was sitting there the whole time like, guys, this AD, this, like, this <laughs> dude is like really freaking great, right? And then, of yep. course... The other part of that, David, um, why he did what, what he talked about when he talked about his demands to be traded. He's like, look, I've been here for seven years of my career, but I want to play in important games. I want to be in big games. I want to play with great players like you guys never provided that for me. And yeah. so he teams up with LeBron James and they take off this season. Um, obviously, the number one seed in the West. 
um, which culminates all the way through to the conference finals, game two in a pivotal game that his team was letting slip away. And let's face it, uh, David LeBron was incredible to start the game. He was not very good in the fourth quarter. And AD carried the Lakers on offense. It was all AD getting one-on-one buckets, um, you know, hitting step back threes, all kinds of incredible shots, um, to, to maintain the Lakers. And of course he hits the big buzzer beater at the end. And it's, legitimately the first time in LeBron James's career that I can remember that his team was capable of winning games where he was flat out bad down the stretch. That's never been the case in his career. Okay. Yes. There's in fact, there's been times where he was good and they still lost, you know, um, this is the first time I can remember in a big game conference final type of game, LeBron didn't have it down the stretch and he had a teammate that could just do it. Um, this is the, you know, some might argue maybe 2011 Dwayne Wade, because right after 2011, he basically started breaking down. The knees just started giving out. But 2011 against Dallas, Dwayne Wade was basically the best player in that series. Um, but that, that, that was the only time that's ever happened. And they lost because LeBron played poorly, but LeBron played pretty bad down the stretch and AD carried them. And that's just, that's just amazing to me. Well, it's, it's, it is, you know, it is a acknowledgement, I think, and LeBron has said this, that, you know, he, he needs AD to be great, right? So, you know, it, it is an acknowledgement, I think, from LeBron that he knows that, you know, while he's still outstanding and he still can make a case, we'll talk about the MVP in a second, um, to be MVP, that he needs help. Like he needs real help, like yep. si- significant help. He can't carry the load like he did before. And it's funny, wise like I, I, uh, I get into it with Laker fans all the time because I, I acknowledge I, I miss a lot. I mean, I'm wrong a lot about things in in the NBA over the years. But one thing I wasn't wrong about was the the haul that the Lakers sent for Anthony Davis paled to me and to in comparison to what Boston could have offered them for Anthony Davis which is why I wrote and said at the time that the Celtics need to go get Anthony Davis because they got more assets than the Lakers do. They got better assets than the Lakers do. And um, they can they can give New Orleans a better haul than, than the Lakers can. And I was right. And people need to cop to that. I was right that I said they got to get Jason Tatum. They got to ask for Jalen Brown. You know, they got to ask for – they still had multiple first-round picks at the time. Um, and that package would have been better. But, you know, people – insisted to me that, you know, the group that the Lakers had was going to be in multiple all-star games and was going to re, you know, reestablish New Orleans's <laughs> primacy. And I kept saying, nah, I don't think so. Right. Um, but the bottom line is they got, uh, they got it done. They got the deal done and LeBron can make the case for MVP. And I wanted to ask you about this. What did you think about him kind of copping to being pissed off about not getting MVP? If you watch the clip, there's a, you can tell there's a bit, bit of a contrivance on LeBron's part. It, it seemed like he was trolling. <laughs> Honestly. You, you think it, so? Yeah, it was, it was LeBron. Um, and I mean this with all due respect. This was drama queen LeBron. Like, he <laughs> loves drama. This is not like, I'm not saying that as, in, as a pejorative, but he right. enjoys, you know, stirring the pot. He enjoys getting people chatting. He enjoys sort of just getting an intellectual debate started. Yeah. Right. And it seems like to me, that's what he was doing because what he was essentially saying was that he doesn't mind that he came in second. It just should have been closer. 
which what does that statement mean <laughs> in actuality like that's that's a nothing statement like yeah i i know i didn't i know Giannis is a completely and utterly deserving mvp but i should have came closer like what, is, like what are you even saying with that you know and so yeah, yeah. that like i i saw that as lebron this is lebron stirring the pot this is not him actually being like of course pride and being as excellent as he's been for such a long time you want the respect of your peers and the people who um basically claim to be the smartest people about this game right you want their respect and you want to be able to earn that and you want that respect you know shown to you by virtue of votes and acknowledgments and all of that kind of stuff but the fact that he said he understands why he didn't win is just like i i don't know what i'm supposed to do besides that that's it's funny i mean i i I listen. I was listening to it live. I was watching it live, I should say. So I saw the whole press conference. I mean, the whole uh, you know media Zoom call afterwards. You know, and I didn't. It's funny. I didn't get contrived. I thought he was really pissed. I guess I didn't think about why would he be really pissed. You know, like at some point, what difference does it really make if you lose <laughs> by one and lose by hundred? Right. right? <laughs> you know, you lost. Um, and what I didn't understand, what I thought. He, you know, and LeBron tries these things out, I think, sometimes. What I disagree with him was about was his notion that this was all about narrative, you know, or that yeah, he thought again. voters were voting for for Giannis because of narrative. When if there was any narrative this year, it would have been LeBron. Right. LeBron was the narrative. You, you had the narrative candidacy. Right. That's what I'm saying. 35-year-old yeah. LeBron James having this incredible season was the narrative. If there was one this year... And it DA, he's, he's lost the narrative MVP before, and that was 2011. Yes. Right, right, <laughs> okay. and, right. And, and, and if you if he had said if he had said I've lost before because of narrative, I mean maybe it would have made sense. But this didn't make this sense is not to say narrative. like nobody is saying. There's no narrative that says really good team got you know won the most games. <laughs> That's not a narrative, you know. <laughs> Everybody expected Milwaukee to be the best team in the East this year. It's not like there was an argument about that. Team with significant, they had the best record, significant yeah. advantage in the point differential. So their team right. performed the best clearly during the regular season. He's right. breaking efficiency stats. Um, he broke the record for PR in a season. John John right. Hollinger, our John Hollinger's PR for a season. I mean, his yeah. per thirty six numbers were just. And so he, there were. There's no question he was the MVP of the league. If I we're counting yeah, the regular season performance, this isn't even like an interesting debate here. This isn't like remember yeah. Russ Westbrook with the with the with triple Harden. doubles, and you had Harden, yeah, and yeah. you know that was an interesting debate. This was not right. <laughs> no, I agree. I don't think this was especially close, and I don't even have a vote anymore. But if I had a vote, I would have voted for Giannis, and I wouldn't have even thought about it. Like it's clear he was the MVP. So I, I did that. I don't know. I'm not sure why why LeBron stands, you know, are are arguing so adamantly about this, you know, because. You know, he had a great season. He had a top five player playing with him every night. Giannis did not have that. It wasn't all due respect to the other guys on the Bucks. There's nobody else that's no. a top five player in the league no. on their roster. So, I mean, and, what do you? And <laughs> you know, and I and I saw I heard this conspiracy somewhere else, so I can't take credit for it. I can't remember where I heard it, but somebody um, mentioned. 
um, that maybe what this is is LeBron sort of, you know, preparing the land so that planting the seed, if you will, DA, to ensure mm. that he gets that finals MVP vote. <laughs> right. <laughs> well, it's on. like you no, guys no. screwed me on the real MVP. Okay. Bet not screw Lakers, me on this finals MVP. If the vote. Lakers get, if the Lakers get to the finals and they win the finals, who the hell you think is gonna get MVP? <laughs> you Come never on. know. Maybe Come AD on. is is as incredibly you know unstoppable as he's been in these two games. You never know. Right. You know. Yeah, no way in hell the LeBron's not getting MVP <laughs> if they make the finals and they win the final. Even if they lose in the finals, he might get MVP. <laughs> Ain't no way in hell. He knows that. Come on. <laughs> So, <laughs> that's ridiculous. But yeah, I was amused by it. As somebody who's followed LeBron very closely, basically since he's coming to the NBA, I was yeah. amused by the sort of, you know, the, 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 the theater of it all, you know, like, because you can tell if you watch it again, DA, you can tell before he says something, he, he, he has that little look, little grin that he knows he's about to say something mischievous. <laughs> and he delivers he says, to be quite honest I'm pissed off <laughs> it was great well, theater know, he did say when he was getting up when he left when he was over he did get up and say well I guess I made some headlines for tomorrow so yeah, you may see, you may be on I'm to something there you, while. you man, may be right you know he's a professional that's stirring the pot <laughs> let's bring DA into the conversation here welcome to who comma is on the Athletic Podcast Network. Turned it on and I heard Shaq with the barbs and just like the most in his braggadocio. I was transported right back into it. I was like, oh, this is great. <laughs> I think I rap better than Shaq. David Aldridge. Oh, he's totally playing him. Yes. <laughs> yes. And then he yes. got their lungs out in front of everybody on TV. Michael was not your friend. It was so the Chicago and Detroit stuff, that was real. That was real. I mean, God forbid we don't have scholarship money that can't pay for the charters for the water polo <laughs> in Iowa. Welcome to Hoops. Five, four, we have ignition. Five, four, three, two, one. And joining us, I'm very happy to have this very, very busy person on our, our little podcast today was... The great Nate Silver from 538.com, the man, the myth, the legend. Mr. Silver, welcome to the show. Thank you. I'm a longtime fan. Um, I'm glad we could make it work. It definitely is. I mean, it's busy for everything now. It's a crazy time in the sports calendar, but um, obviously very crazy if you're covering the elections or even if you're just an average citizen trying to figure out everything going on that you're going to have to vote on in, in a few weeks here. Exactly. So I know my circadian rhythms are all effed up right now because because there's basketball in September, which is not doesn't make sense. It doesn't fit for my you know, I haven't done that for thirty years and hockey in September and the Kentucky Derby in September and this is all weird to me. Are your rhythms all messed up? Yeah, for sure. Um, I mean, it feels like I mean, first of all, I think we've all experienced in our own way the impact of COVID. Um and kind of things get dilated or squished together or I don't know what, right? It kind of seemed like it was summer just a couple of weeks ago. And now people are already like here in the Northeast being like, okay, this is going to be pretty bad in the winter. You know, we don't want to be indoors a whole bunch. And there's worries about a second or third wave, however you want to term it. Um, all of a sudden the election, it went from kind of early to right in the stretch of the campaign really fast. And then with sports, yeah, it has been kind of, it has been compressed. It's a little bit strange, right? Um, you kind of wake up and kind of forget which season you're in part of the time. Part of the reason, actually, I've kind of become 
more of an NBA fan recently is because usually the NBA runs in a way it's very amenable if you do election analysis, right? So it starts in in October, November. You can miss the first couple of weeks, okay? Um, and you have the climax in the spring, in the summer, which is a good long distance away from like the election campaign usually in November. Um, so this year, right. I you know this year it's kind of all piled on top of each other, and it's it's um, it's fun to have on in the background when I'm doing some you know poll modeling or whatever um but haven't gotten to savor it as much as i would with the with the april may june playoffs so you can imagine for me nate for somebody who has to you know whose job it is to cover the nba and i you know i fancy myself a bit of a political junkie or animal or however you want to call it too and then that's compounded by the fact that i root for the new york jets so it's just whoo <laughs> This is just a rough, rough, oh, rough. I didn't know that was. You're, oh, oh my God. It's, really? It's awful. Yeah, yeah. Mets oh. and Jets. The New York Mets you, oh. and the Jets. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's, it's disgusting. It's sad. It's awful. <laughs> I, I, it's just, it's, 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 it's masochism is what it is. Or is it sadism? Whichever one you like pain. That's, that's, that's us. Um, yeah, New York is not quite the sports mecca that it sometimes makes itself out to be. Um, <laughs> no, the Yankees, I guess. All right, yeah. so, Nate, are you, you're still a Nets fan, right? No, I, so I moved to New York, uh, 11 years ago now and kind of adopted, um, I felt a little bit sorry for the Knicks. That was one of the times they kind of struck out in the LeBron James yeah. agency sweepstakes. Right, right. Um, right. but I like that. I like like the Amari Stoudemire, Tyson Chandler team. I like some of the younger mm. players. Um, yeah. They had, you know, the Wilson Chandler and, and Gallinari and people like that, right? It was kind of a fun team. And then, and then I don't know, you know, kind of <laughs> they, I mean, Carmelo Anthony, great player. They gave up a lot for Carmelo Anthony, right? Um, right. I remember stupidly because they could have got him for free in the summer. Yeah. Right. Just well, they, they failed the marshmallow <laughs> test, right? Um, I remember right. the, um, the Lynn which is probably the most fun experience I've had. Cause you know, again, you have these high expectations for like, Oh, I'm going to live in New York now. Great basketball town. Right. Lynn Sandy was like the one time when that kind of was fulfilled a little bit, yeah. but it was like, kind of like a mirage or not a mirage. It was like, it was great basketball well, it was, for like, it was like Brigadoon. It came up for like two weeks and then it went away for like for a hundred years. It was very, it was still one of the strangest things. Um, I've experienced as a sports fan period. Right. And like, it really was like everybody, you go out to dinner, like everyone's on their phone checking the score. Right. Um, so I can imagine what it would be like to experience like a deep playoff run <laughs> as a resident of New York. Right. And people being that into it. Um, yeah. But you know, but it's been, it's been frustrating. Um, I do like the experience. Oh, no, I, you know, I actually said nets though. No, I know. I know. I, it's weird. Yeah. I lived in Brooklyn when I moved here and I since moved to Manhattan. So I actually live kind of near Madison Square Garden. Um, yeah. And like literally can see like Knicks and Rangers propaganda is like beamed into my apartment constantly. <laughs> so objectively, I should kind right. of go back to the Nets. Right. They're obviously, a, a, I think, a, a better run franchise. It's a, it's a, no it's question. a, you know, a, a very cool experience. I have friends who are into the Nets who have converted to the Nets, right? Um, but I don't know. Um, because I like literally am in the neighborhood, I feel like now I have some, some obligation to, to give the Knicks one more chance or, or I don't know. I mean, <laughs> there's so much that's written about the whole, is the hot hand a fallacy and, and, or is it not? And first it was, it's a fallacy. And now more, more people are saying, actually, no, you actually can have a hot hand. And Jeremy Lin was kind of the ultimate hot hand, right? Like he mm-hmm. was, he was. 
torrid for two weeks, for three weeks. He was the best player in basketball for three weeks. There's never been anything like this before or since. Just this kind of okay but not great basketball player who for three weeks was the best player in basketball. And how do you explain that? I mean, there has to be a – I mean, so first of all, I think some of the modern evidence says there probably is a hot hand to some extent, right? Um, and one reason why is that if a guy gets hot, they will kind of take more um, take more difficult shots. And if you're not quantifying shot quality well enough, then you'll miss that, right? Because you don't just say, I want to take these easy jumpers, right? You're going to say, I'm going to kind of dominate the game. And I mean, I'm not sure what it was. Yeah. Maybe it was the scouting reports a little bit. Maybe it's a part of it confidence sure. interval or confidence – not interval. Now I'm talking like a statistician, right? Um <laughs> Uh, the confidence level thing a, a little bit. I mean, I don't know. I um, I feel, you know, dumb opining too much on basketball talking to you guys, but it does seem like this is a game where um, where I think of the four major American sports, it's like the most mentally and physically taxing. You know what I mean? Um, you yeah. just think about it, right? I mean, baseball, I love baseball too, but you're only involved in a certain percentage of the plays, right? Not as right. physical. Right. Hockey, you have the line changes, right? Um, right. The NFL is really tough, but 16 games, but right? But subs- more, much more substitution in football now than you're used and to. And much more substitution so, in football too and specialization, yeah. right? I mean, the NBA yeah. with the athleticism and skill, I know it's a cliche, right? When you kind of go back and watch like – clips from the 80s they're just kind of standing around right i mean the you know <laughs> yeah, the right, level right. the games played at today um it just you know guys are gonna have like maybe only a certain number of games where they're able to play at their kind of mental and physical peak and the elite players are players you can muster that 80 percent of the time right i'm not sure anybody i mean watching going back and watching the last dance and stuff right you're like okay yeah michael jordan Best player I think of all time. I've become an MJ over LeBron guy, but like, um, <laughs> but he did not have it hundred percent of the time, right? Maybe he got no. it ninety percent of the time, and so I don't know. I right. mean, it's it's, but also you know if you have whatever, um, one hundred and fifty, let's say two hundred and ten rotation players in the league, right? You kind of have six or seven months of the season, right? You're going to have one crazy one in one thousand thing happen now and then, right? But last yeah. those games, it didn't look like. It didn't look like he was just making a bunch of shots. Like he was kind of a commanding presence in some yes. ways. You know what I mean? Yeah, that's what's that's what I don't that's what is so such makes it such an anomaly to me. I've seen look, I've seen role players have good streaks. You know, you I, I, I was a beat writer for many years, and there were guys who were on the on your teams that all of a sudden they got hot. Well, again, is it hot or whatever it is, they would have a five or six game stretch where they'd shoot 57, 58% from the floor. And that was very, and that was a well beyond what they would normally shoot, which in those days would be about, you know, if you shot 47, 48%, you were shooting pretty good. Right. Yeah. Um, But it would, it was, they were scoring, they were averaging maybe 14 points a game instead of eight. You know what I mean? This guy was scoring 30. (laughs) He scored 35. You know, he was making meaningful big shots in important moments in games to win games or to clinch games. And it it was just so bizarre because it it just – there was nothing that would indicate he could do that before. No. There was nothing that happened since that would indicate he could do it again. (laughs) That's just – Well, the thing is, David, he was – a legitimate NBA was, player. That's yes, what I think got right, lost in right. it. Was He's that, a good like, player. 
as I was watching it, I remember nobody being able to stay in front of him. Right. And I was like, to me, that's a sign of a superior Best athlete. Because yeah. these are the yeah. best guys in the world athletically. Yeah. And after you get on your little two-game streak, people are going to be like, hold on now. He's in the starting lineup. Right. Like, All right, I'm going to guard this dude. And nobody can stay in front of him. I remember he was out-athleticing people, if as a word I just made up. <laughs> but the thing that I remember uh, the most, guys, is... You know, as a native, lifelong New Yorker, uh, Nate talks about, you know, this is what I would imagine a deep playoff run with the Knicks would feel like. And he's right. (laughs) Like the only comparable moment is the 1999 team with LJ and the four point play and all of those crazy things. Like that was something that united the city in a ridiculous way. I, I was dating somebody. I lived in Queens. She lived in Brooklyn at the time. And she lived in Williamsburg. And, you know, we would go. There was this bar that we would go to on Saturdays and Sundays to watch college football and NBA and whatever yeah. might be on at the time. And it was generally a decently whatever, a decent amount of people would show up on the weekends when the Knicks were playing during Lynn Sanity. It was packed. <laughs> <laughs> it was it was ridiculous. Like yeah. you would have thought this was like a Mike Tyson heavyweight fight. It was, you know, it was an incredible time and moment in the city for sure. Yeah. No, it is fun. Yeah. And I've been, you know, in Chicago, I remember a couple of the Cubs playoff runs when yeah. I lived there, right? Uh, even the right. Rangers, I mean, hockey, I like hockey. Hockey is not as popular as basketball. Even the Rangers playoff runs, you can get people pretty excited. So it is a great yeah. shared experience as a city, especially when a team that has not, let's be honest, tasted success very often historically <laughs> makes that run. Yeah. And so it's, you know, it's kind of worth some degree of pain, <laughs> I think, investing as a fan. Um, but it's also like, it's one thing if you take kind of big risks and they, and they don't work out. It's another thing when you feel like, okay, every time um, that we're trying to go uphill, we're taking two steps downhill instead. I want to kind of somewhat pivot off of this because I, I'm fascinated by, um, I, I, you know, I am someone who enjoys, enjoys, who uses advanced numbers, who understands that they have worth. They have significant worth in some cases. Um, I wonder as you have examined, especially when it comes to sports vis-a-vis politics, how do you eliminate the statistical noise to find numbers that really work and that really have meaning? And it's different in politics because unlike, well, to a certain degree, maybe I'm wrong, but in sports, numbers those numbers are proprietary. And so I always ask teams, how do you know if it works if you can't compare it to anything? <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Like you can't, and that's what I always, and I can't ever get an answer from people on that. Like you have these numbers that you say are secret, but they're not, but they're in a vacuum. They're, they're just there. They're not compared to other people's numbers. So how do you know if they're working? I mean, so there are a bunch of great questions embedded in there, right? Um, you know, for our stats, we try to use data that's publicly available um, because 538 is part of ABC and ESPN. Um, I guess formerly just right. ABC, but all part of the Disney family. Um, you know, we, we know folks at the league, so we will get sometimes, um, you know, better like feeds of data. But it's all data that's out there publicly um, because we do right. want stuff. If we're a public facing site, we don't want a black box where you can't kind of see what the inputs are. But like, so, mm-hmm. I mean, what is... It like doing analytics in sports versus politics. I mean, one nice thing about basketball is that there is, relatively speaking, not that much luck 
in basketball, right? There are a hundred and mm-hmm. some possessions mm-hmm. a game. There are 82 games. Um, a seven game playoff series is, you know, is usually going to reward the better team. Not always. Um, right. But at least a team that was better in those seven games. Right. Um, so it's nice kind of when you go from politics, we have like one election every four years to the NBA, where you have a much larger sample size. Um, at the same time, like, I mean, there are a lot of difficult issues in, in NBA analytics, right? Um, yeah. We have our a system called Raptor, which kind of values individual player performance, but kind of going from like the player to the team um, is something that's a lot harder, right? Um, in part mm-hmm. because I mean, talk about like kind of player effort varies, but also kind of team effort varies, right? And for years, we've kind of said, okay, well, um, how do you account for a team that, um, you know, maybe coasts its way through part of the regular season, often the end of the regular yeah. season, right? And we saw right. this in the- A lot of LeBron teams like LeBron that. LeBron teams, <laughs> maybe just need like right. a LeBron variable, right? Because in the bubble, we saw- um, you know, critiques of how the Lakers were playing and how the Bucks were yeah, playing, right. among others, right? Yeah. In the Bucks, mm-hmm. and our system got like really down on both teams. Like it overweighted that bubble performance. Um, for the Bucks, it wound up looking smart. For the Lakers, no, right? Obviously not. I mean, they're probably, yeah. I don't think, our model probably doesn't say this, but I think they're clearly the favorite to win the championship now, right? Disagreeing with our so. numbers right. there, right? <laughs> um, but like LeBron, it's just like, I don't know. I mean, um, you know, because also teams have different incentives and a team that kind of goes for the regular season. I think um, I don't know if it's a matter of, you know, wanting to preserve your juice for the playoffs, but like but like it's pretty tricky. And so, you know, kind of getting that team component right is tricky. We have realized that there are things where the playoffs, right, like LeBron James is a guy where the performance is higher in the playoffs, at least at this stage of his career in the regular season. We try to account for that. Right. But also, you know. Yeah. Kawhi Leonard was that guy. And then, you know, um, not this year, apparently. Right. I mean, I don't know. I think. <laughs> right. Yeah. I, I'm, 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 I'm doing a piece actually for us. And I, on the, on what is the bubble real or was the bubble real, you know, like these numbers and these performances, do you take any of these at face value and, and try to project them towards next season? Because that's what you have to do as a, as a team, you have to see, you know, who you have and what you want, or is it such a unique set of circumstances that you have to kind of view it as a one-off? And I don't know the answer to that, Nate. I'm, I'm, I'm I know the answer to that. What's the answer? I, I think <laughs> if you're Rob Palenka and you work for the Lakers and you win the championship, it means everything. Right. Mm-hmm. If you're Doc Rivers and the group over there with the Clippers, ah, oh, this, come on, the bubble, <laughs> yeah. the, the virus, the this, like, come on, this, this is ridiculous. You know, if you're Rob Palenka, if you're, you know, the Lakers management and you guys come out on top here, you talk about all the circumstances you overcame. To yeah. achieve this goal, it's like look how resilient we were. We're geniuses, <laughs> right? That, that's that's the answer, and that's how people are going to play it. It's, it depends on where you sit. If you overachieved in the bubble, you're going to talk about you know basically you're going to call yourself Rudy or Rocky or the Hoosiers <laughs> or whatever sports cliche uh, you want to come up with. But um, yeah, it's, it's in the eye of the beholder. But I do want to ask Nate about the Clippers because I think I was listening to my guy Nate Duncan. And he was talking about, uh, and this is because Nate mentioned the lack of luck playing a factor in the NBA, the Clippers loss being one of the biggest upsets in NBA history, particularly when you um, factor in the 3-1 lead. Like, when you compare their regular season output and performances, the two teams, like the Clippers were just markedly better. Then they built up a 3-1 lead. Like, this is a historic meltdown. 
Oh yeah. No, I mean, and cause also they are a team that like has had a lot of playoff experience. Right. Um, I mean, I don't know. I, I think like that to me seems like there's something about the bubble and I mean, cause they looked like totally gassed at the end of game seven, you know what yeah. I mean? Yeah. And blowing kind of leads like that three times in a row. I know Denver plays at altitude, probably well-conditioned kind of younger team kind of take pride in that. Right. But like, but something seemed wrong there, right? Maybe it's even mm-hmm. as simple as like, um, if you were playing game six and seven at home, right? Right. And maybe you are able to muster like a little bit more, um, a little bit more energy. You know what I yeah. mean? I mean, I don't want right. to criticize anybody, right? I mean, but you're playing games on a more rapid back to back pace, right? They are, um, a team that has prized kind of load management and stuff like that. But I don't know. I mean, I know it sounds like a kind of, now I sound like a kind of cliched drive time radio guy, but like, I think the kind of um, the hunger I think is going to matter a little bit more in the bubble. Okay. I'm going to give a really stupid analogy. You know what I mean? Um, I've played a couple of times in like in the world series of poker. Yeah. Um, and what's weird about the world series of poker is that the final event, which is the main event, lasts for like 10 or 12 days, right? Um, If you make it, most people drop out, you know, half players drop out every day, right? So I think it's like when you're playing that tournament and you're like, okay, maybe I've been here in Vegas for a week and Vegas, if you're kind of there playing poker and not going crazy is still like kind of a a week feels like a month, right? Um, And you're like, boy, if um, if I bust out of the tournament, then I can get out of this bubble in Vegas that literal bubble, right? And go back to my life in New York and get all these work, this work done and see my friends and whatever else, right? Go to the restaurants I like in New York, get back to my apartment. Um, yeah. And it makes you play worse because you're kind of like, okay, um, <laughs> you know, I have the option to like kind of, I'm a little tired about this now to get back to life, you know? So I don't know. I mean, maybe the fact that like the conditions in the bubble, I mean, I can't imagine um, having to stay, I'm sure it's a beautiful complex, right? I'm an employee of the Walt Disney company, right? I'm sure it's beautiful and cool, but like, but I can't imagine like, okay, you know what? Do I really want to get stuck here um, for another few weeks? And like, even though every kind of rational part of you is going to say, look, obviously this is a championship and someone's going to be more focused, right? Don't have to worry about anything. Um, There's just a part of me that wonders if you don't really have the desire to win, then, because you don't have the other creature comforts as much anymore, right? Um, yeah. Then you might kind of feel like just the the ten percent less desire for whatever reason, maybe because you're Kawhi and you have nothing to prove right now, and you will next year, but you don't have anything to prove right now, right? I do wonder if that affects things more in that environment. But yeah, look, anytime we are in statistically, right? Anytime we're in a new environment, we shouldn't just pretend that like it's normal, right? If you have a sample size of zero, and now you go to a sample size of one, right? Then you should kind of say, okay, maybe there are different things here ranging from the sight lines to how the game is called. Um, yeah. But you know, but like, I don't know. I mean, I think if we took everybody at five thirty eight and put them in a bubble where they can't leave for three months on the way yeah. on the run to the election, I think we would have some people would be surprisingly good. And some people would, would struggle with that. Yeah. So, I think you'd still predict 50 states correctly like you did in 2012, <laughs> Nate. I, I think you'd still get we'll it done, see. brother. We'll see. It's good. Uh, so, so, so um, my my poker knowledge is limited to rounders, so I have to ask you if you've played against Johnny Chan, the master. And if you haven't, who's the best guy you played against? Um, I have not played against uh, Johnny Chan. Um, I was actually playing a charity tournament this spring and um, played Chris Moneymaker, who of course kind of oh, ushered okay, in the sure. whole poker boom. Um, sure. 
And Chris Moneymaker was like, I mean, he kind of has a reputation of like this guy who, um, frankly, who kind of got lucky, right? He was like an yeah. accountant and then won an online qualifying tournament. And then, you know, he was pretty good actually. And he's like, he knew how to kind of like, um, um, not like sweet talk you, right? But you just would strike up a conversation and you kind of feel um, a little disarmed by that conversation, right? And you realize this guy's actually getting yeah. like quite a lot of information out of me, <laughs> right? Just by not talking <laughs> right. about poker, but like, you know, and he would even like talk about like, oh, you know, because we we're, there are other people that like, for some reason, like this was a celebrity game, like Pete Alonzo was in the game. It was kind of an interesting game. Yeah. Um, wow. It was like, you know, it was only him and I were on this chat. Everyone was supposed to be on the chat. He was like telling me like kind of how like, um, he was going to play against the other players and like, Oh, you're giving me a lot of insight into your game. But like in general, like poker players are very clever about kind of what they tell you and what they don't. And they're kind of priming you for, you know, or at least some are, but Chris Moneymaker is like an old throwback player, right? A lot of players yeah. now are more um, game theory, optimal or GTO it's called, which is kind of very, very math driven. Um, there are some analogies to sports and that like, okay, you know, scouting or analytics. And the answer is, Hey, actually both, right? There's no right, trade-off right, there. Um, and likewise yeah. in poker, like if you have both like the kind of intuitive kind of human skills and you have the math skills, there's no, there should be no trade-off there, right? You can take advantage of, of both of those. Right. I, 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 I always, I'm a blackjack player. I mean, I'm not any good at it, but that's what I like to play, you know? And I always felt like that's just kind of like, it is just kind of like probability and statistics, right? So if you, if you know how to count cards, if you're good at counting cards, you increase your chances. I, I, again, I don't know anything about poker other than what I watch in movies. Is it the same? Oh, for sure. In, in poker, you're playing against other players and not the house. So, um, right. so you can have a positive expectation. Um, but, you know, one thing kind of poker teaches you is like um, is there is a big difference in the short run between between luck and skill. Right. Um, mm -hmm. You can play for months and months and months and be a bad player and make money or a good player and lose money. Right. Um, right. And it kind of forces you to be very focused on on process. Right. Um, and maybe you can get too obsessed with process. Right. But now there are programs that can tell you, OK, here is how much money you made. And here is how much you should have made if your luck was break even, right? <laughs> if half your coin flips came up heads, right. right? Here's how much you would have made instead. And then I'll, I've, you know, I've been playing a little bit here during the quarantine, and like, there's a big gap. I'm making way less money than I'm supposed to have made, right? And the kind of like, <laughs> and you can kind of objectively prove that, hey, I can prove that I've gotten unlucky to a pretty unlikely degree, although not crazy, right? But still, yeah. it kind of it can affect. Um, it can affect your play a little bit, right? Just if you kind of have this experience, you can kind of tell yourself, okay, I know that like this is like a one in 50 chance to kind of run this bad, but still like you get like a little bit gun shy, right? And it's pretty hard. Mm -hmm. I mean, I kind of remember like the, um, what was it like the Houston Rockets was a game six a couple of years ago where they went like oh for, <laughs> over oh, 25. It was a game oh, seven. Was, they missed 27 threes in a row. I just, you know, sorry, Houston. So first of all, you kind of <laughs> admire, you have to admire the, pluck to kind of keep shooting threes right um it's kind of what that's what they do right <laughs> yeah but you do wonder in the in the moment i mean um i mean you, but you're gonna have streaks like that right if even if there were no hot hand you're gonna have streaks where you miss you know especially against a tough defense right and taking not the highest quality shot where you're gonna miss eight in a row but you know 27 in a row whatever it was I and mean, that was kind of that was kind of crazy too <laughs> i wonder yeah. i know i know daryl Morey a little bit i wonder what he thinks kind of kind of deep down was going on there
Yeah, he, he wishes they didn't do that. <laughs> <laughs> he probably wishes they could have snuck in a, a mid-ranger or two in there, right. for sure. It was, yeah, I, well, they shot some of those, too. They didn't make many of those, either. <laughs> yeah. It was, it was a, I was at that game. I covered that game. I'd never seen anything like that. You just figure, at some point, just plain old stupid luck something's going to go in. They're too good a shooting I team. Don't, I don't remember, David. Were they good looks, like clean looks? That a lot they of just them were. were just a lot of them were. Not off. all of them, but a lot of them were mm. wide open looks. They were wide open. You know, one of, nobody within six feet of them, whatever the standard is for the NBA that they use to determine those things. But yeah, I would of the 27, I would say, you know, without having the play-by-play sheet in front of me, I would say... Seven or eight of them were wide open, like wide open. <laughs> and you just can't believe that they would keep missing. And it wasn't, it was, it wasn't just, you know, okay shooters from deep, like your Trevor Ariza's and people like that, who you might say, okay, maybe they're just not having a good night. I mean, it was everybody. It was Harden. It was everybody. And that was the unusual thing is that they were all shooting. It wasn't like it was one guy that missed 19 of them. They all missed like five or six. It was weird. And now here's Tas Mellis of No Dunks to tell you about Indochino. Hey, I'm Tas Mellis of No Dunks on The Athletic. Do you want to walk into a room with your chest puffed out, your neck long, and your shoulders broad? Of course you do. For me, getting clothes that fit properly can give me the confidence I need to do just that. Indochino hooked me up with the gear that fits perfectly. I dreaded getting dressed for my Zoom meetings, but now I change for each one with a big smile on my face. I did a virtual fitting on Indochino's slick website for them to get my measurements. I didn't have to talk to a single human. There are so many options. Here are a few I chose. A long shirt, because I tuck it in. I got a no dunks monogram. And I decided against the shirt pocket. I sincerely did not think that custom fit clothing was this affordable. And all customizations are included in the cost. The website keeps your measurements on file so you never have to re-enter them. The best part, Indochino suits start at just $2.99 with all customizations included. Indochino is a no-brainer if you're getting married. Visit one of the Indochino showrooms across North America. Or book a virtual appointment like I did and shop online at Indochino.com. And right now, you'll get $30 off any purchase of $3.99 or more when you enter code TAS. Not ass, TAS, T-A-S, at checkout. That's Indochino.com, promo code TAS. Talking about erectile dysfunction is not easy. Usually, we just brush it off or blame ourselves, saying things like, I lost my mojo. Or we avoid it altogether with excuses like I had a long day at work. But with Roman, it's easy to talk about it with a real healthcare professional who can prescribe real medication. It's simple, safe, and totally discreet. With Roman, you can get a free online evaluation and ongoing care for ED, all from the comfort and privacy of your home. A healthcare professional will work with you to find the best treatment plan. If medication is appropriate, Roman will ship it to you with free two-day shipping. The whole process is straightforward, simple, and discreet. Getting started is simple. Just go to roman.com slash athleticnba 
and complete an online visit. Erectile dysfunction used to be tough to tackle, but now there's Roman. Complete an online visit today to connect with a healthcare professional and take care of it. Go to roman.com slash athletic NBA today. If approved, you'll get $15 off your first order of ED treatment. That's getroman.com slash athletic NBA. Getroman.com slash athletic NBA. Nate, I want to, I do, I mean, we have to ask you about the election. I mean, we can't have you on and not ask you about the election. That would be kind of stupid. When you're dealing with kind of this tribalism that that is rampant at all levels of politics in all parties, and we all and in this country, you know, it, it, there's there's no explaining math to people in this in this regard, um, or, or probability or any of those things. Um, do you worry that when you say that Joe Biden? in your models has an X percent chance of, of winning the election and Donald Trump has a Y percent chance that people simply are not going to, they're just not going to listen to the numbers that you're running, or they're not going to believe the numbers that you're running. And they're going to want you to either, you know, flip it, or they're going to want to want you to reinforce what you're, what you've already said. Yeah. Look, I mean, in some sense, um, People shouldn't alter their behavior if by based on our numbers, right? They should probably vote for the candidate they think is the best president, no matter what. Um, yeah, and you can't control how everyone else votes, right? Um, maybe you can't control if you're deciding which candidate to donate to in a Senate or a House race. You can look at which races are actually more competitive. That's one kind of practical use of it. Um, but yeah, look, I mean, um, kind of going back and forth between. A lot of politics and a little bit of sports. I mean, people obviously have a much more um, emotional reaction to politics, I think, actually. It's a little hard to kind of quantify emotion, right? People have fun watching sports and they take them very seriously, right? But like right. Um, it's kind of hard to um, to look at politics at kind of arm's length, not in the kind of right. cliche like both sides do it framing, but I just mean the sense of like, okay um, – you know, I think the average Knicks fan can tell you that the Knicks are not very good, right? The Knicks will probably not make the playoffs right. next year, right? Exactly. They can be think, honest about it, right? Yeah. I think the average um, Democrat in a race the Democrat's going to lose may have trouble doing that or, or vice versa. Um, right. But yeah, look, I mean, it's also like it is a little bit different probability-wise, right? Like in some sense in basketball or certainly in poker, we're talking about poker, there's some degree of like literal luck, right? Um, mm-hmm. How the shuffle comes out. Um we're not saying that there's luck necessarily in um, who wins the election. We're saying there's uncertainty. Um, mm-hmm. And the best we do right now, because right now, right now, Joe Biden is leading in the polls by a fairly healthy margin. Um, you have 45 days to go. And the kind of question is, OK, how often when a candidate is leading by seven points with 45 days to go, do they wind up winning? And the answer we think is about three quarters of the time. Right. That's kind of what yeah. the probability means. Mm-hmm. Um, right. And that means one quarter of the time they don't win, <laughs> which is right, which is right. not trivial, right? I mean, one thing that I think is good about sports fans is to understand that like a guy who is a seventy five percent, seventy seven percent free throw shooter is not going to make every free throw, um, right? And the ones they don't make will often break your heart, right? Um, yeah, right. So, right, <laughs> it's not quite. It's not quite luck, but like still, it's like it's like, or maybe a better analogy is like, um, you know, an NBA team that has 
a five point lead with six minutes to play in the fourth quarter, they're probably around 75% to win um, yeah. somewhere in the department, right? If it's an evenly matched game, um, you know, is it a matter of luck if they win or not necessarily? Not necessarily. They may kind of play badly down the stretch run, right? I don't think the Clippers were unlucky the way they were playing to, to you know, lose those last couple of games in the in the fourth quarter, the second half. Um, but there are some things we know and some things we don't know. And like, I, we are not people kind of saying, oh, hey, look, the polls are going to be right, right? We're trying to tell you what's the chance the polls will be wrong. Um, right. In yeah. 2016, um, we actually had a forecast that gave Trump a much better chance than most other people did. I mean, we had Clinton favor, but we gave Trump, um, our model gave Trump a 30% chance, which is way higher than, than most people yeah. assumed, right? Yeah. This year, it's kind of back to, um, I think people are kind of often fighting um, the last war, right? They're like, oh, well, polls were wrong this year, so therefore polls are, yep. are wrong always, yeah. you know? Um, you know, again, I think sports fans have a, a bit more equanimity about this because they understand that, like, you can have a bad game and then bounce back, right? Um, mm-hmm. Now, if it starts to happen three or four times and you start to believe in in clutchness and 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 curses and stuff like that, right? Um, yeah. But we're talking about just kind of one election in which the Democrat underperformed the polls. And Clinton was actually not ahead by that much in the polls either last time. Right. By the time election day came, a lot of people don't remember that, but by the time election day came, she didn't have some sizable lead in the polling. Um, I, I, I'm actually a, a listener of what you guys do at five thirty eight. And um, I remember afterwards you saying, well, we tried to tell people that, you know, the <laughs> right. Comey report and this, this, that. And the third, like her lead had shrunk, like these things had hurt her, the emails, the this, like these things had actually hurt her in the polls. And so we tried to tell people that Trump had a better, um, you know, chance that he did. But people just remember, you know, going to 538 every day and seeing it say 92 percent or whatever it said at different um, parts of the campaign. And so they got mad. But, you know, what I really want to ask you about 2016, because in a lot of ways, like you just mentioned, we're still sort of litigating 2016. Like people just can't get over it, right? Like, the, the, every, and I'm talking about everybody, whether it's the Clinton campaign, um, Bernie supporters, whoever you, you name it, people still feel a way about 2016. But what I wanted to ask you for our listeners, um, where did Hillary Clinton lose this, that election and by how much? And what does that picture look like right now? Has it meaningfully changed? So I think there are a few things. Um, you know, I think first of all, the fact that we have um, never had a woman president um, has mm. to be mentioned. Um, yeah. I think there's a challenge. We saw a lot of talented <laughs> women running for the Democratic primary this year: Kamala Harris, Elizabeth Warren, and and um, and they kind of all didn't Klobuchar do super. Klobuchar, all, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, Kirsten Gillibrand, right? They all kind of struggled. Gabbard, Gabbard, yep. yeah, they um, all kind of flamed out. Right. That's one thing, right? I mean, I think the Comey letter. It was a close race, so a lot of things can make a difference of a couple of points. It probably made a difference of a couple of points. Um, there were a lot of people who said, hey, look, um, why not take a chance on Trump, right? There were a lot of voters, you probably remember some of them, who disliked both candidates, and they went mostly for Trump. Um, yeah. Clinton didn't campaign in the right states, um, so that hurt her in Wisconsin and Michigan in particular, I think, although she would have lost because of Pennsylvania, where she did campaign anyway. Um, yeah, yeah. I think the mainstream media coverage of the race was focused on um, a lot on Clinton's emails and other. I don't hmm, think right. Watergate 
level scandals um, and kind of treated <laughs> right. Trump as a curiosity. Um, I mean, look, mm-hmm. a lot of times when like when um, when upsets happen, I mean, people like to have a simple narrative like, oh, it was the Russian bots on Facebook. You know what I mean? Um, yeah, yeah. That, that's the one I buy the least. By yeah, the way. me too. I think it's <laughs> I think it's kind of an excuse. But like but the fact is that when there is an upset, oftentimes it's like seven or eight little things that contribute to it. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. And it wasn't an upset by, by very much. I and mean, that's the thing, right? If, um, you know, frankly, if the Comey letter doesn't come out or if, or if just, you know, where if one thing happens a little differently and she just does better by one point, then, you know, we have a whole different conversation, right? In 2000, yeah. if, if the ballot in Palm Beach County is not designed in a kind of cockamamie way, then Al Gore probably is president. Who knows what happens yeah. after that, right? But like all of conventional wisdom would be, would be quite different. And so kind of, you know, looking at margins is important. I think there's something to be said um, in sports there too, right? I mean, the fact that like, um, to go back to the Clippers a bit, the fact that they blew this 3-1 lead and looked so terrible in the second halves of three games in a row, mm-hmm. right? right? I mean, that was, you know, not even close in the end in game seven, right? Like that would be more cause for, oh, something really went wrong here than if they had, um, if someone had fouled out on a ticky-tack call, right, and they missed a free yeah. throw and, you know, right. I mean, they really got kind of overwhelmed there, right? And so, um, but with Clinton, it's, you know, a little thing here and there, right? Um, yeah. Also, by the way, people, it's hard for a party to win three terms in a row, right? And in some ways, mm-hmm. there were reactions to Obama. People mm-hmm. like to kind of balance and, and switch horses. Yeah, let's switch it up. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. 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 I don't want to ask you about who's going to win because we don't know. We just we we won't right. know. Um, but I do want to ask you about polling and and you all aggregate polls and, and you average the polls out to get a, a number. And I do wonder about some polls that that seem to have a very clear and you can you can name them. They they you know the PPP polls tend to lean Democratic. Rasmussen obviously tends to lean Republican. Yeah, yeah. And there's some that are way on the on the outskirts of either one. So as you use polls, and I know you weigh them, but at some point does a does a polling company that consistently oversamples one party or another lose its efficacy and lose its its reliability? So. We try to be inclusive, but we we weight polls based on how accurate they've been in the past as well as their methodological standards. So, yeah, there's a question about like, you know, Rasmussen Reports is an example of a firm that like every year is is much more Republican leaning than the average poll is. Um, One thing that happens if you do that is that every now and then, I mean, you know, roughly every third or fourth year, you're going to have a miss that goes in the direction that you prefer, right? The polls are not always spot on, right? So they get to look like geniuses one set every four cycles and idiots the rest, right? But they kind of talk about that one glory year, right? Where where they were right (laughs) and everyone else was wrong. (laughs) Yeah, but we don't don't want to get into – so what I don't want to do is like get into a lot of subjective one-off decisions, right? I don't want to have to say – Okay, I think this poll is BS. So therefore, I Nate Silver in the middle of doing twenty other things today. I'm going to strike that poll. Right? You want to kind yeah. of set up clear standards, and then if there's a poll that um, violates the standards, you say, okay, maybe should the standards be different? But you're trying to work more holistically. And again, there are again similarities here if you're working on like a, a basketball metric, right? Um, mm-hmm. If you're like, oh, this metric seems to take an unusual player, like. Like Russell Westbrook is unusual statistically, right? 
Um, very high <laughs> yeah. usage mm-hmm. rate, uh, low to medium efficiency, right? But, you know, good rebounder, et cetera. Um, yeah. You know, you shouldn't tinker with your metric just to get the right result for Russell Westbrook. What you should say is like, okay, um, if this seems to be misvaluing Russell Westbrook, what principles can I draw from that? Because maybe it's also misvaluing other players that are in a similar vein, right? Or not. Yeah. Maybe they just have some guys where they say, okay, um, you know, there's something about um, Giannis that's a little bit tough to capture in a metric. Although maybe with his playoff runs, maybe maybe there isn't something about him necessarily, right? <laughs> right. Um, but, you know, you kind of, you, you want to be more kind of take, always take a step back and be more systematic and not be so, because if you, you know, if you start being subjective and looking at the polls kind of without having a plan in place to do it, then like inevitably you will kind of let your um, biases come out, right? Um, yeah. Whether it's a bias toward thinking your side's going to win. I think actually a lot of Democrats now often have a bias toward thinking things are going to go badly, right? And so they'll kind of, yeah. you yeah. know, kind of find doom and everything or apprehension and <laughs> everything. Um, you know, if you get involved in covering the campaigns and maybe, maybe you have a certain outcome that you think will make you look good for whatever reason, right? Um, Mm -hmm. so you can start rooting for that potentially. Um, so kind of, you know, we're in a very emotional kind of last month and a half of the campaign. Um, so to have like a system you decide on ahead of time where it's like, I don't have to make any decisions here under duress, right? I mean, all decisions back when I designed this model half a year ago so Mm -hmm. that they would survive all these things happening. I don't have to step in, you know what I mean? I set a process in place. That's, so that's the idea. Um, at the same time you go back and, and when the year is over, you kind of go back in and re-examine things. Again, the same thing for like our NBA metrics. Like we think um, the preseason projections we did were pretty good. Um, clearly, like I not to get into detail, like it clearly gets over hyper based on a small sample of results when the season starts, and then again when the playoffs start. So that's something we can yeah. we can tinker with, right? But we didn't want to change that in midstream in part because you know generally you know go with something for a season. It's going to be wrong sometimes. It's okay, right? But also because we were busy with. Um, the election and stuff like that. Um, but, you know, having a process where you think about like, um, what are my rules here for for improvement and not just kind of doing everything on an ad hoc basis? Yeah. So you guys do a segment on your show where you talk about good poll, good use of polling versus bad use of polling. <laughs> Um, I feel like the polls get a lot of attention mainly because TV producers know it's a cheap trick to basically goose like horse race (laughs) sort of narrative, right? On TV, like it's obvious why they do it. Now, that being said, I want like when you hear Joe Biden's lead is shrinking in the polls, what does that mean? (laughs) Because it seems to me like. After basically four years of 45 getting to do his thing in the White House, I don't. how can it be that you don't know whether you want to give him a shot or not at this point? Like, if you don't know if you want to give him another shot, how can you be undecided or flip-flopping? What does it mean for Biden's lead to be shrinking in the polls? And, you know, the other part of that is who are these people that the polls might not count for, quote-unquote, uneducated white people? <laughs> So there are a few things here to break down. Um, number one is like it definitely is the case that the media gives more polling coverage to polls that show a more dramatic swing, right? Um, if there's a poll mm. that shows Biden's lead shrinking from 10 to 5 and at least showing it kind of steady going from like 7 to 8 or something, right? 
the poll showing the dramatic swing will get a lot of coverage. And so, you know, so looking at the kind of polling averages like we have at 538 is always pretty helpful. Um, number two is like, in fact, the polls have been really very stable in this election where Biden's lead has always ranged wow. between um, or at least post COVID, um, yeah. you know, anywhere from six or seven points toward maybe nine and a half points. Um, that's a pretty narrow range compared to the swings we saw in 2016 um, or in past years. There are not very many undecided voters. So Biden actually is already at or above 50% in a lot of polls. So yeah, most people have made up their mind. Um, yeah. I wow. think some people will say, some Democrats will say kind of, okay, um, how can people vote for Trump given everything that's going on, right? I mean, it's important to keep in mind that, number one, a lot of leaders actually became more popular during COVID because people were like, oh, this is kind of a bad break, right? We're empathetic, patriotism, yeah. right? Not mm-hmm. happened for Trump, but like, you know, number two, it's a very polarized country. So if Biden, if the polls were spot on and Biden were to win by like seven points, that's a pretty big win relative to a country that's kind of divided 50-50 on everything. Um, right. Especially for an incumbent. I mean, or non-incumbent, yeah. right? Yeah. It would yeah. be the biggest defeat of an incumbent since um, Carter versus Reagan in 1980. And not that similar. Reagan won by 9.7 or something. And if Biden wins by 7.5, then that's, you know, pretty yeah. similar. There is this question of um, are polls missing Trump supporters? Um which can mean a couple of different things, right? Um, one issue that polls have had is that people who respond to polls tend to be more highly educated um, mm-hmm. because they tend to be more news consumers, tend to be more excited about kind of public affairs, right? And currently, mm-hmm. people who are have college degrees are more likely to vote Democratic than Republican, right? Mm-hmm. So um, in 2016, a lot of polls did not wait based on education. By waiting, I mean, so the dirty little secret of polls is that um, if you just go in the phone book and randomly dial people, then you are not going to get a random sample of the population. Um, right. What you will get, because not everyone is equally elected to answer a phone call. Um, who answers kind of strangers' phone calls? It's stereotypically older, um, college-educated white women, right? Yeah. So most polls yeah. are, the raw sample is too white, too educated, um, too old, uh, too female, right? Um, whereas yeah. like getting like uh, a young, you know, 25-year-old Latino man is pretty tricky. Um, well, they, and they have cell phones, right? They're and not, they have cell phones. Not, and polls do call right. cell phones now. Um, or most okay. polls do if you don't. Um, mm-hmm. But so so you have to wait polls. Say, okay, we know that um, 12% of the electorate in, in Ohio is black people, right? And we only got kind mm-hmm. of 6% black people on the phone. So what they'll do literally is say, we're going to – Count all the black people that we did get double in the poll um, and discount all these old college educated women right. that we don't need any more of, right? Um, right. Mm. But if you miss an important um, inflection point, right, where if education is now an important divider of who you vote for and you don't get a random sample of people based on their college education, then, then that can create issues. Um, so, you know, there's also theories that like maybe Trump supporters don't want to say who they're voting for. There is not much evidence for that, really. Um, generally speaking, people are happy to tell you who they're going to vote for in the United States. Um, mm-hmm. You know, maybe a Trump supporter might not want to say the reasons why, um, but you can give lots of reasons why. Like, let, let, Let's right. say that you are going to vote for Trump because of some anti-immigrant sentiment, right? Or some mm-hmm. racist sentiment, right? 
you know, you can just say, you're not going to, you can say I'm going to vote for Trump, right? If you're asked why, you might say, well, I want lower taxes. I'm against abortion, right? I'm against gun control. I always vote Republican. You know, I, the economy is recovering, right? You can give a million reasons why. So, so usually the kind of top line candidate preferences numbers, people are pretty, pretty honest about. Um, Yeah, I, I, yeah, I, yeah, I agree with you on that. I think most people are affirmative about presidential elections, right? They, they want to vote for somebody. They're very rarely voting against somebody, maybe more this year. I don't know, but I, I still think people are not, maybe people are voting against Trump, but they will tell you why they're voting for Biden as opposed to why they're voting against Trump, right? Is that, or maybe I have that completely wrong. No, I, I mean, the, the, listen, the more you kind of ask for people to give you a binary, right? Um, mm-hmm. Are you voting for Biden or, or Trump or sitting the election out? Um, they tend to be pretty honest with that. When you get into the mm-hmm. reasons, it's more difficult, in part because people don't necessarily totally understand the reasons why, right? Um, yeah. You know, you know you're running for Biden and there are a few emotional reasons for that. There are a few kind of rational reasons for that, right? But usually kind of people pick their candidate first and kind of come up with the reasons later. Um, right. <laughs> whereas I think journalists want, want this kind of Cartesian almost model where it's like, oh, I'm kind of going to graph out, you know, here's where <laughs> um, here's where I stand on the issues and here's Joe Biden, here's Donald Trump and here's Jill Stein. And lo and behold, I'm closest to Joe Biden. So I'm going to know it's, it's much more kind of um, – cultural than that has to do with your kind of social circles and like, and like, you know, um, and it's not people necessarily plotting things out based on, on issue positions. Um, yeah. At the same time, I mean, you know, one of the other things we say too is like, you should be worried about polls being biased, but always be worried about polls being biased in, in either direction. Um, you know, there are some states where the polls have underestimated how well Democrats would do. Those include states like Arizona and Nevada and to some extent Texas in recent years. So, um, you know, states where you have a lot of people moving into these states, they're high growth states. Um, you know, it may be that a list that the pollster has is out of date, right? Um, that's someone who is actually born in Texas. You still have in Massachusetts where they moved from, right? Also, um, whether polls are correctly capturing the Hispanic vote is a big open question right now. Um, Polls. So actually, we talked before how among white voters, college-educated white voters tend to be more likely to vote Democratic. Among Hispanic voters, it's the opposite, actually, um, where college-educated Hispanics tend to be more Republican um, sure. than, than Hispanics without a college degree. Um, right. So therefore, if you're getting a too educated news-consuming a population, right, um, you may actually overestimate Republican support among Latino voters. Also, some polls don't interview in Spanish. And in some states, there are primarily um, Spanish-speaking voters who are citizens who are registered to vote and will often vote Democratic, and they may be also kind of underestimated in polls. Yeah. Mm. Well, I, we could go – I mean, this is – yeah, we, we, <laughs> we could do this for hours. We do this for hours. Let me get you out on this. Um, Lakers overwhelming favorites of the t- four teams left, or is, there, or is it once you get to the Final Four, anybody can win? I mean, I, I don't know how much to book our system because our system says, oh, the East teams are way better than people think. I'm not sure if I – we have to make sure that it's not a little getting a little drunk off the off the bubble, you know? I mean, right. look, I think, <laughs> I think Miami and Boston are both pretty good teams. I do um, yeah. I think that, you know, Boston's a, a, a pretty complete team. Um, maybe it's a series where depth matters a little bit more and they certainly have a fair amount of – of depth, I don't. Know. I think it's. I don't think it's going to be like a, a sweep. Um, right. 
but but I don't know. I mean, obviously, if I actually did put my own money on it, I put money on the on the Lakers, right? Our system will look good okay. if one of those that's, East Coast that's, teams that's wins. That's what we should have asked you, Nate, because you're a gambling man. We should have asked you, put the money where the mouth is. I mean, it's a little tricky to know because they haven't really necessarily, I mean, um, you know, our model would have had them as a heavier underdog than conventional wisdom assumed about the Clippers. And so obviously it was too bullish on the Clippers. So we're a lot of people. Um, yeah. But, you know, but so it's a little, a lot so of people. It, it's hard to know <laughs> if they're going to get the your boy test. David Aldridge included. Yes. Oh, I Nate. was. Dude, absolutely. <laughs> well, that's the thing. I mean, we don't know. We don't know, right? It kind of seems like all the buttons you would say, okay, here's a team that's going to overperform the playoffs relative to the regular season, right? The Clippers. And then, yeah. And then it's happening through game five. And then all of a sudden, what the hell happens, right? right. Um, <laughs> but, you know, but it's kind of, I don't know. It seems like, uh, it's within LeBron's grasp. It seems like um, it would change his legacy in a very positive way. Um, yeah. But I don't know. I mean, our system all year long has thought, okay, there just isn't enough depth here for the Lakers. But do you have a team left out of the three remaining teams that can really press that issue? I, I don't know. Yeah, yeah. I don't know either, but it's been it's been fascinating. This conversation has been terrific, Nate. I can't thank you enough, man, and and continued success with five thirty eight. I re I only refresh it seven hundred times a day, so <laughs> we we appreciate that. So do our so do our, so do our sponsors, but yeah, thank you, thank you, David. Absolutely, yeah, man. man. Big fan of what you guys are doing. Appreciate the work. Is 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 it's a valuable resource for sure. Specifically, when for somebody like me, I I just can't watch cable news. I just can't. I I, I got a lot of love for um Hayes, but like even Hayes, who I respect as a journalist and all of that, mm-hmm. I just can't with the TVification of the news over there. It's just too much so i love what you guys do yeah i basically i like i like chris too uh i basically only watch sports on tv i can't yeah. like um, that's it that's yeah. it <laughs> i'll read about i'll watch sports i'll read about politics yeah um, that's probably a good idea there you go I should do that. there that's you go <laughs> that's a good call man thank you so much this was great thank you nate for sure talk to y'all soon Tell you what, we could I could have him on every week, boss. That, that's fantastic. Oh, man, yeah, you know, the, the, the dude, the dude knows what he's doing, David. Yeah. Man, he's a, and and again, I, I know there's like a there's like a reputation. There's people that just feel a way about um, the work that Nate does because they felt like he got too much credit for being right for being about great. Just like this, <laughs> <laughs> sorry, it's so stupid. <laughs> I know it's it's stupid. It's so stupid. You know what I mean? And like, so you know, I'm a fan of what he does. No, I, that was that was incredible conversation. Yeah, big fan. I'm a big fan. I'm a big fan. And I like and he's and he can explain it. You know, that's. Yep. I don't mind talking about advanced numbers with people that can explain them. <laughs> you know, it's it's the people that say you're just too dumb to get this. That's when I have, <laughs> that's the ones I have a problem with. You know, um, but it was great. Um, it was terrific. And um, man, what a great show! We went a little long today, but I think it's worth it. Um, we had the nexus of sports and politics, which is right in my wheelhouse. So thank you for for joining us today. Um, if you go to the athletic, we have a special. If you're a new subscriber, if you want to be a new subscriber, we have a dollar per month uh, promotion going on right now. So please uh, join us and get this incredible programming that uh, we have not only on podcast form, but our written product as well. It's pretty damn good. If I do say so myself. 
Uh, appreciate the time as always. See you next week. 